Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Well, it's great to be with you guys today. If you don't know me, my name is Blake Jennings. I'm the teaching pastor here at Southwood. I'm usually across the street, but Kevin and I swapped campuses today because we wanted to be able to see what God is doing on both sides of the street at Southwood. Um, if you haven't met my family, this is, this is who I live with. This is my wife, Julie, and my twin third graders, Luke and Gracie, and our dog, Coco. And um, we don't get a lot of rest. We're tired all the time, but we're having a lot of fun together. It's exciting for me to be over here. I was grateful that Kevin invited me to come and talk to you guys. You may not know this, but when we planted Southwood over a decade ago, so over 10 years ago now, we began to pray at that time that God would open the doors of this building so that we could partner with the high school in some way. And we prayed that year after year, knowing that it was very unlikely. We, we did not really expect that the day would ever come, and yet it has. And, and here we are in this amazing space. Uh, this, this, just so you, in case you didn't know, this is actually the nicest space the whole church has. You get to use it. We're so excited about that. We're thrilled, but we want to recognize that partnering with the high school really isn't just about using their building on Sunday morning. It's hopefully about far more than that. And, and really, probably the most important thing that we mean when we talk about partnering is that we would get to come in here on Sunday morning and worship in this space and then develop a heart for this space that we carry with us throughout the rest of the week. And what I mean by that is most of you in here are in college, so it's just been a few years since you were one of these kids. Maybe not here in this building, but in a building like it, you were a high schooler. You were walking in their shoes. You know, you remember the struggles that they have, the temptations that they face, the, the, the things that keep them up at night, their anxieties, their concerns. You know them firsthand. And so Part of our reason for wanting you guys to worship in this place is so that you would claim this place as your home, so that you would begin to pray for the students who walk these halls Monday through Friday, that you would plead with the Lord to introduce them to Jesus, to protect them, to bless them, to, to show his love to them. And so I want to do something a little odd because I just prayed a moment ago, but we're going to pray again. We're going to do it a little differently. I'm going to ask you guys all to stand. And what I want to do is I want to lead you in a prayer for the kids who walk these halls Monday through Friday. I want to lead you in this prayer, and then I want to beg of you to begin to pray every week. Will you pray every week? For the hundreds of high school students who walk these halls, will you begin to pray for them, God's blessing for them each week? Lord God, we come before you, we stand as a family, giving thanks that you have invited us into this space. We thank you that we get to worship here today. We want to use this space as an opportunity to remember the, the hundreds, the thousands of students who will walk these halls Monday through Friday. 
We thank you, Lord God, that you know each of them by name. We thank you that you love them unconditionally. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for each of these high school students. You rose from the dead so that each of these high school students could could hear about the offer of eternal life as a free gift. And we pray, Lord God, that you would open their eyes to know and see the love you have for them through Jesus Christ. We know that so many of these high school students, they, they are looking for love, they are looking for acceptance, they are looking for security, and all of that is available through Jesus. And so we pray, Lord God, that you would open their eyes to see what Jesus offers to them. We pray, Lord God, for the high schoolers who already do know Jesus. We pray that you would strengthen them to be great lights to this school and to their classmates. We pray that you would give them courage to be bold, to speak grace and truth. We pray that your spirit would move in this high school and that hundreds and thousands of students would come to find and follow Jesus. Thank you that we get to pray for this place. Please help us to remember to lift these students up to you every week. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen. Well, please do be praying for the students of this high school. This is an incredible privilege that we have to meet in this space. Well, there is a story told from back in the 1800s about two steam-driven paddle boats that left Memphis, Tennessee together taking cargo down the Mississippi River. And they were running close enough that sailors on one boat could yell to sailors on the other boat. They could talk to each other. And so as men tend to do, they started talking trash about the other boat. And so challenges were made and a race began. And in a steamboat, how you have a race is you throw a bunch of coal into the oven so that it gets really hot and the, and the boat can move faster. And so both boats throw all their coal in the ovens and they picked up speed and they were racing down the river neck and neck until one boat began to fall behind because they were running out of coal. They did not bring enough for a race. It looked like they would lose until one enterprising sailor realized, hey, we could just throw one of these boxes of cargo in, into the oven. And sure enough, it burned as well as coal. And so other sailors saw that and they began putting cargo into the oven and picking up speed. And the, and the boat caught up and actually passed the other boat and won the race. The problem was they burned all their cargo. And that was the only reason they were on the river. And the point of all that is that I don't want to get to the end of this fall and realize that I burned my cargo. I don't want to get to December and realize that I spent my time and resources and emotional energy on things that ultimately are not very important. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about what are the first things in life. What are the most important things God has for you this fall? And it's really not limited to this fall. These are first things for all of us for all of life, we're going to talk about what these first things are by looking at the book of 2 Timothy. And so you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. You may not know, but 2 Timothy is actually the last letter in chronological order that Paul wrote. He wrote it when things were going really bad for him. He was in prison in the city of Rome, and the trial was going poorly. He, he knew that his time was up. In fact, we know historically Paul was executed three months after writing this letter. So you can think of 2 Timothy as Paul's last will and testament. And so if you're writing a last will and testament, what are you going to put in it? Well, 
only like the most important things in your life. You're not going to waste time on small talk. You're going to focus on most important things. And that's what God is, is going to do for us through this letter. He's going to help us to see first things. We're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, where Paul is going to list out the three most important things to keep our eyes on in this life. And I do have a spoiler alert for you. You are not going to find school on this list. Going to classes, doing homework, taking tests. I'm hearing a lot of whoops. Um, No, there is a, a but here. But God has given you school as a gift. You may not realize that. You need to. School is a gift that God has given you. So many people in this world do not get the privilege of attending a place like Texas A&M. And what does God expect you to do with his gifts? Shepherd them well. You are to honor the gifts of God. And so going to class, sorry to break it to you, is a moral responsibility. It is. It is. I'm not going to pull punches. Doing your homework, doing well on tests, studying hard, God will hold you accountable for that. It's a moral responsibility. You have to shepherd it well. However, as important as school is, it's not as important as the top three things that Paul is going to give us in this passage. Okay, so take school seriously, but keep your eyes first and foremost on these three things. So Paul is going to give us three commands here in verses 1, 2, and 3 that are to be the three most important things we do in life. The first command is verse 1. Look at chapter 2. He says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So priority number one in your life is to find strength in God's grace. I do love here how Paul calls Timothy my son. He doesn't lord his authority over those under him. He treats Timothy as a son in the faith. He speaks to him in love. He challenges his son in the faith to be strong. And that that word in Greek, it's literally to be strengthened or to be empowered. It's in passive tense. And so what Paul's saying is he's not telling Timothy, Timothy, make yourself strong. Because Christianity is not a religion about lifting yourself up by your bootstraps. Christianity is not about you working hard to earn God's favor or prove that you're a great person. Christianity ultimately is about receiving. It's about passivity. You are receiving strength from God. God wants you to receive your strength from him and that strength comes to you in grace. So God's grace is the source of your strength. Now, what's grace? Our church is named after it. My daughter's named after it. There's banners all through this school that say grace. We use that word all the time. It's a really simple idea. Grace is when you get something good you don't deserve. Grace is when you get something wonderful that you did not earn. It's a gift. That's the idea of grace. Christianity is about grace. It's about you getting good from God that you have not earned earned and all of that good, all of that grace, Paul says it comes to us in Christ. In other words, everything good that God gives you, he gives you through Jesus. You get it because of your connection to Jesus. Now, let's think for a moment. What good things has God given us through Jesus? I'm going to share a few verses with you that talk about that. So the first is John chapter 1 verse 3. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been Made. The point of that verse is that Jesus is actually your creator. He is the one through whom creation happened to bring you about. And so you owe your existence to Jesus. 
your soul, your body, your intellect, your personality, everything that you are as a person is because of Jesus. He has given you that. Okay, so, so we owe all of that to Jesus. Here's another passage that talks about what we've received through Jesus. Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. We've all sinned. We've fallen short of God's expectations. That's the bad news, but there is good news. Jesus died for us and rose from the dead so that we could receive justification and redemption as free gifts. And those are big words. Justification, it means God declares you to be in the right forever. That's, that's what gets you to heaven when you die. Redemption, that means God frees you from the penalty and power of sin in your life. You were a slave of sin. Now he has released you from that. All of that came to you through Jesus. You didn't earn that. You don't work for that. I hope you're not coming to church to try to get that. Jesus earned it for you. And he offers it to you as a free gift. And so... Everything good in our lives, our, our existence, our salvation, our future, all of it comes to us through Jesus. In fact, in James 1, I love this verse, kind of summarizes everything. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Every single good thing in your life is a gift. It's a gift that God gave you through Jesus, his son. And so when you look at your life and you wonder, well, what, have, what has God done for me? What has God given me? Well, everything that you would say, wow, that is good. That's a gift he's given you through his son, Jesus. And so now let's get practical. How exactly do we find strength to make it through the challenges of this life in the grace that comes through Jesus Christ? For some of you in this room, what you need to do is find strength in God's grace for the first time. You, you need to receive God's grace into your life for the first time. If It may be that you're here this morning and, and you don't yet believe in God or you don't yet believe in Jesus for some reason. And so you, you've been trying to do life on your own through your own strength. It may be that you believe in God and in Jesus, but you still think that ultimately what matters is what you do. You have to earn God's love. Maybe you came to church this morning because you thought that God would like you more if you're here. Well, all of that is false. There's really good news. The Bible says God already loves you infinitely and unconditionally. He loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, defeating sin and death for you so he could give you eternal life as a free gift. And all you need to say is, yes, I want that. All you have to do to receive the grace of God once and for all is say, God, I want The eternal life that Jesus died and rose to earn for me. That's all it takes. The moment you say yes to God's gift of eternal life, you receive once and for all the grace of God. It comes into your life. It never leaves. And so for those of us who have said yes to God's gift of grace, what does it practically look like day after day to get strength from that grace? How do you get the strength that you need and the grace Jesus has given you? Well, you're going to have times, moments, days this semester where you're going to struggle. You're going to be beat down. You're going to be tired. You're going to be discouraged, you're going to feel lonely. And in the midst of that struggle, you're going to need hope. You're going to need confidence and peace. And so where are you going to turn to find those things? Well, the world's going to tell you to turn to yourself. So you're going to look to your intellect or your money, your romantic relationships, your friends, your accomplishments. That's where you're going to find the confidence and peace that you need. There's a problem though with all of those things. 
All of those things will fail you. You you can't count ultimately in any of those things. Your intellect. You may have been the smartest person in your high school, but A&M is a lot bigger than your high school. There's always going to be somebody smarter than you at A&M. It may be that you've been counting upon your, your beauty, that you're a very handsome person. Take it from a 42-year-old, that's not going to last. That will fade. You can't count on it. It may be that you find strength through your friends. Friends are a wonderful gift from God, but there is a problem. All of your friends are sinners, just like you are. And so you are going to disappoint one another. You are going to hurt one another. If you count in the things that the world counts in, you will be let down. All those things will let you down. You need a better source of hope and security. And guess what? You already have it. The grace that God has given you is your absolutely secure source of hope and peace and confidence. So what you need to do as you go through life, if you want to find strength, is you need to remember and give thanks for the grace you already have in Jesus. It's remarkable in the Old Testament, if you want to ask, um, when was Israel doing well? Not often. If you read the Old Testament, it's a pretty sad book. There are a few times that they did well. And do you know what it was that helped them to do well? They remembered. That's it. That's it. They remembered and they did well. Remembered doesn't mean like literally. It, it means that they stopped and they said, you know what? God has blessed us. God has provided for us. God loves us. They remembered and they acknowledged the blessings of God in their lives. They gave thanks for those blessings. And by giving thanks through gratitude, they were strengthened to walk in faithfulness. You know when they did bad? Which is like most of the time. It's a common word used all the way through the Old Testament. You read it, just underline it. You'll see it all over the place. When they do bad, what do they do? They forgot. They forgot. By forget, it means not, not literally forget. It means they didn't pause. They didn't give thanks. They didn't reflect on God's goodness in their lives, and they grew bitter. They gave into self-pity. And as a result, they turned to other gods. Well, it's the same principle in your life. If you want to find strength, you have to stop and recognize God has already given you infinite grace. If you've trusted in Jesus, his unconditional love is already yours. His complete acceptance is already yours. You already have happily ever after promised you in the next life. You already have everything you need. You need to stop and give thanks for it. If you'll practice that discipline of gratitude, I promise you, it will be the greatest tool you have for finding strength in the discouragements of life. There's nothing more useful than cultivating the discipline of gratitude if you want to make it through the storms of this life. Okay, so be strengthened in the grace that is yours through Jesus Christ. You find that strength by pausing and giving thanks to God. Second step that God gives us, second priority that we need to keep our eyes on, be a link in the chain of faith. Look with me at verse 2. Paul says, the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The, the things which you have heard from me, well, what things? Well, Paul and Timothy had spent a lot of time together. They'd spent years together, in fact, by this point. So when Paul says the things you've heard from me, what he means is everything. Everything I have given to you, pass that on to others. So Paul's talking about the entire Christian faith, both all its theology, complicated things like the Trinity, as well as just its practice, like how do you use your money? How do you build a great marriage? Whatever it might be. So Paul is challenging Timothy to take his entire Christian faith and entrust it to others who would do the same. Now, he does say to to faithful men, because that's what Timothy is, he's a man. 
If Paul was writing to a woman, it would be to women. This is for all of us, men and women alike. We are to take what has been given to us and pass it on to others. That's what entrust mean in, in Greek. Entrust, it means to, to deliver something that's valuable to you to someone else. And, and I'll give you just a ridiculous example. Um, I was born in 76, and so if you ask me what are my favorite movies, there will always be the original trilogy of Star Wars because that was my introduction to what a movie is. I remember going with my dad when they first opened in the theater. I remember waiting desperately for the next movie to come out. I love that original trilogy of Star Wars. And so I actually, I love it so much that when I found out we we're having twins and it's a boy and girl, I thought, thank God, it's going to be Luke and Leia. It's going to be Luke and Leia. Um, Julie said, well, no, you can have one. And so I got Luke. <laughs> I love Gracie. I love that name. It's just it's so close. I love Star Wars. And so I'm really excited when I come home and I see this. My kids love Star Wars too now. They watch the movies with me. They play Lego Star Wars. They play with lightsabers. I have entrusted to them my love for this movie. Well, God wants you to do the same thing with something infinitely more important. With your Christian faith, you are to entrust it to other people. You are to pass on what you have received to someone else. And the point of that is if we will all do this, if we will all entrust the faith to the next generation, then what God will do is just, we will be links in this chain of faith that extends all the way from Jesus and his disciples to the next generation coming up after us. That's ultimately God's goal for your life. To be a link in this chain that goes back for 2,000 years, passing this faith Jesus handed to the next generation. It's, it's really, when you think about it, it is one of the only things that we have in life that is 2,000 years old, that hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Everything else in this world is changing all the time. Here's a ridiculous example. This is a 5 megabyte IBM hard drive. In 1956, they had to load. Five megabytes, you had to load it with a forklift. Your old iPhone that has 16 gigabytes, it has 3,200 times the memory of that. Things become obsolete in no time. We live in a world that is moving incredibly fast. And so your faith in Jesus is probably one of the only things you have in life that is timeless. The only thing that matters tomorrow is your faith in him. And so God has called us to be a, a link in this chain of faith. And I don't know about you, but, but I am desperate to not be the weak link in that chain of faith. That's something that I think about a lot now as, as a dad with, with a couple kids. I think about the fact that I was blessed to receive incredible faith from my parents, from my youth pastor, from my college mentor. They passed on to me the teachings of the Christian faith, the practices of the Christian faith. I don't want to drop the ball. I want to make sure that I am a strong link in that chain, passing it on to the next generation so that they can be blessed as well, just like I was. That's God's call for our lives. And so what that looks like, it's, if you think about how a chain works, each link of the chain has to point both directions got to be strong both ways. And so what that looks like in your life is I hope every single person in this room can look forward to somebody further along in the faith who is mentoring you. It might be a parent. It might be uh, someone discipling you, a Bible study leader, a coach, uh, a professor, someone who is investing in your life. We all need that. Okay, so we have to be strong looking forward. We also need to be strong looking back. 
We need to look behind us and see somebody who is younger in the faith, somebody who is newer to Christ. Maybe they're not even yet in the faith. They're just starting to ask questions, and we need to link with them and invest in their lives. So if you want to know, am I being successful this semester? One of the key questions is, do you have someone mentoring you? Do you have someone you are mentoring? The answer to both needs to be yes, because God has called you to be a link in the chain of faith. Okay, so that's the second priority in our lives. Be a link in the chain of faith. Third priority, look at verse 3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Our third priority in life is to endure hardship without losing hope. And by hardship here, Paul doesn't necessarily mean persecution. That would be one form of inescapable part of this life. This includes just the the day-to-day suffering that we go through as human beings in fallen bodies in a fallen world. A lot of you guys are young, and so I I don't know if you have come to the realization of this yet. Life is hard for everyone. Anyone who tries to tell you otherwise is just a good liar, or they're trying to sell you something. Life is hard for everyone. We were promised that in the Old Testament, Job 5, 7. People are born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Point is, you know, if you light a fire, sparks are going to go up. They never go down. They go up. You can guarantee your life will be hard. No one escapes that. We live in fallen bodies in a fallen world. This life will be hard. And so Paul wants us to understand that how you respond to the hardness of life will be based primarily upon your expectations. If you expect life to be easy and pleasant, then you will be crushed when it is not. But if like a good soldier, you expect that life is hard, that it involves suffering and hardship, then when life is hard, you won't be surprised. You'll know, yeah, this is kind of what I signed up for. (laughs) This is life. No one gets out of this. Paul is framing Timothy's expectations. He wants Timothy to be ready for suffering and hardship so he won't be caught off guard when they inevitably come. That's the point of the three metaphors that Paul shares next. Look at verses 4 through 6. He says, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. All three of these kind of people know to expect hardship. A soldier. Soldiers know. They're not going to participate in the affairs of everyday life. What that means is you don't get to, to do what civilians get to do. You don't get to have the leisure, the comfort, the simplicity of a civilian's life. You're a soldier. Even if you're not at war, you have to sacrifice a lot. Soldiers know that. They expect that. So do athletes. Great athletes know, I'm going to have to be in a lot of pain to win at my race. In in Paul's world, the Greek athletes, to be a Greek Olympian in, in that time period, you were required by law to train every single day for 10 months before your event. If you missed one day, you were disqualified. So they knew this is going to be 10 months of pain every day. They were expecting it. Farmers, both back then and today, know life is a farmer's hard. You are up whenever the sun is up. You don't get to take vacation before the harvest comes in. You've got to work your tail off. Paul wants Timothy to understand that's you. That's all of us. Life this side of heaven is hard. You have to work hard. You have to endure a lot of hardships. That's reality. 
But as we endure those hardships in life, we can endure with hope because we know a better life is coming. And that's the the thing that Paul wants us to understand. We should expect hardship in this life, but we should cling to hope in the midst of that hardship because we know heaven is coming. And that point is made in all three of these metaphors. All three of these figures and the metaphors have something they're looking forward to. The soldier is working hard. Why? To please his commanding officer. Well, for you, that's Jesus. One day you will stand before the King of Kings. You will see Jesus. Do you want him to smile at the way that you have lived? Then then you need to endure. And Paul says the, the athlete, the athlete who is faithful, who sacrifices, who works hard, there's a prize in store for him. Same with the farmer, the farmer who works hard. He gets to enjoy the first fruits. Now, what is that prize? What are those first fruits? I don't know. I know it's not heaven because you don't earn heaven. You don't work for heaven. You get that as a free gift. This is something beyond getting to heaven. This is some kind of reward and honor that you can receive from Jesus himself when you stand before Jesus in the next life, but you only receive that special honor and reward if you faithfully endure the hardships of this life. So when life gets hard for us, as it will for everyone on this planet, we can have hope because we know this is not our best life. This world is ultimately not our home. The the world doesn't have that option. And so what do the people of this world do when life gets hard? Well, you know the answer. They try to anesthetize the pain. That's what everyone in this world is trying to do. They choose different methods. Maybe entertainment. It might be pleasure. It might be pills. Whatever it is, they're trying to take away the pain. You have a better option. You can cling to the hope you have in Christ. This is not your reward. Your reward is in the next life. And that gives you the strength you need to endure now. And so when we look at what Paul is calling us to do this semester, he wants you to know, have right expectations. This semester will be hard. You will suffer at times this semester. When you do, don't be surprised and don't blame God for it. That will just make you bitter inside. Instead, in the midst of that hardship, cling to the hope you have in Jesus and he will give you strength to endure. So when we look at what Paul is teaching us in this passage, there's three first things. This fall and for the rest of your life. There'll be lots of other things that are important. Your school, your work, your family. Lots of things that are important. But these three are the most important. If you want to be a success when you come to December and look back at this fall, then you need to find strength every day in the grace God has already given to you in Jesus Christ. And you find that strength by giving thanks. Be the kind of person who is giving thanks to God 24 hours a day. You need to be a link in the chain of faith. You need to have somebody who's mentoring you and have somebody you are mentoring. And you need to endure hardship when it comes without losing hope by clinging to the hope you have through Jesus in the next life. Now, what I would like for us to do, I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship for a moment and you're going to go to your tables to talk. The challenge is that all three of these things are really hard to do. In fact, they're so hard that if you try to do them alone, you will fail. And so when you go to your tables to talk, what I want you to do this morning is I want you to talk practical. How do you actually make changes in your life this week that will keep these first things first? What do you need to change? What do you need to do so that these three things stay at the top of your priority list? I want you to encourage one another by getting into the nuts and bolts of this, of how you will apply it. And then I want you to pray for one another, that you will stand fast in these priorities in the midst of a very busy life. So let me pray for you. Lord God, we thank you so much 
that your son Jesus has given us all this grace, all of this goodness that we already have it in him. We praise you, Lord God, that you do not make us earn or, or work for your love or your acceptance. We praise you that you give us those things as a free gift. We celebrate that you have already blessed us completely. We pray that we would remember that, that we would walk in that truth this week. We pray, Lord, that you would help each of us to be growing as links in this chain of faith that goes all the way back to Jesus. We pray that we would be strong links, that the faith would not fall with us, that instead we would faithfully pass on all that we have learned to the next generation. And finally, Lord, when life, as it always does, gets hard, we pray that you would help us to not be surprised, to not blame you, to not give in to bitterness and self-pity but to instead know that we have hope because this world is not our home. There's a better life coming. You have promised us happily ever after. Help us to stand fast as we wait. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness and grace. In your name we pray, amen.